There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, September 5th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio on Labor Day. On today's show, federal officials visit the capital city. We bring you the latest on the Jackson Water crisis. Then how the history of one of the oldest black communities in Coleman County has shaped its present. Plus, the insurance commissioner explains the disaster guide. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As the Jackson water crisis continues, federal officials are assessing the short and long-term needs of the city and its residents. Governor Tate Reeves welcomed FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell on Friday as they visited the O.B. Curtis water treatment plant. FEMA's support will play a foundational role in our state's capacity to respond effectively to this unprecedented crisis. Recognition of this emergency on the national level will positively impact our ability to bring relief to the city, and to the citizens of Jackson. Our coalition is strong. Officials will continue to work together to provide the people of Jackson with an effectively coordinated response. Our core goal is solving this problem and ensuring that the people of Jackson have running water again. Over the weekend, water pressure in Jackson was restored to nearly all residents. That's according to the mayor's office. But the city remains under a boil water notice. It's been over one month since drinkable water was available through the water system. And the recent setbacks have brought on state and federal emergency declarations. Administrator Criswell says that gives the administration flexibility to support relief efforts. This is a true testament of President Biden's commitment to make sure that we are bringing what we need to to help Jackson, Mississippi um, with this immediate crisis. Um, President Biden did swiftly um, uh, approve the disaster declaration, um, which is going to give us a lot of uh, resources and flexibility to make sure that we are being able to take care of the immediate crisis. Our top priority today and tomorrow and in the very near future is to make sure that we are getting help to those who need it most. Today, my goal was to make sure that I uh, spoke firsthand with our federal partners who have been here on the ground from EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers, as well as the plant and the mayor, to understand what the needs were. I've had an opportunity to speak with the governor and his staff to continue that conversation to better understand what the challenges are and what we can do to help with those. 
Chris Well also says the coalition of state and local entities will be focused on short and long-term solutions to the problem. But ultimately, what I would say is FEMA's biggest value add to this situation is our ability to coordinate all disaster relief efforts and to ensure that the right federal partners are here with us with the right expertise to talk about the long-term solution. In that spirit, again, we are working with our partners at the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers who are uh, providing uh, tremendous assistance and incredible um, contributions to this mission. But we must also recognize that the government cannot do this alone, which is why we'll be working alongside our community faith-based leaders um, as well as our volunteer organizations and partnering with them to make sure that Jackson residents have the help that they need and that they deserve. Marcus Coleman, who is our director for the Faith-Based and Community Partnerships, he is already here on the ground. He's coordinating closely with these organizations to help meet the critical needs of the people that have been impacted by this crisis. And we will continue to work alongside the state and the city to work with critical partners like New Hope Baptist Church, the Jackson Urban League, Catholic Charities, and so many others that are already providing water, hope, and healing. This is a really complex situation, but I am confident that together and with the team that I was able to talk with today, that we are going to be able to solve these complex issues. And to the people of Jackson, I would like to say that the Biden administration is here with you. We are here with you today, and we will be here with you until the job is done. Thank you. Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba says the overall price tag to upgrade the outdated system could top $1 billion. Jackson is a majority-minority city. Eighty percent of residents are black. It's also home to a sizable immigrant community who have also had to rely on relief efforts in order to access drinkable water. Lorena Quiroris is the president of the Immigrant Alliance. She tells our Kobe Vance there are additional challenges for their communities. First, we want to acknowledge that that's why, um, because Jackson is 80% black, and because of the relationships that we have with the organizers and Mayor Lumumba and Rakia, this is what we investing in Jackson. So we purchased the building. We're on 406 West Fortification, um, and we believe that Jackson, you know, will rise. And so with that, I just want to say that um, we've been welcomed in. We feel protected in Jackson. Um, people, you know, are not fearing being deported in Jackson, and we're part of a coalition that's attempting to reach the most vulnerable. Um, it's still does, though, just us. Um, we do door knocking. We have relationships deep within the community, as, as you know, or as you may have seen. And um, the challenge is the interpreting, the translating. So we have to keep up with the day-to-day Um, community doesn't know how to read this or interpret and they're coming to us so we have to maybe we're about 24 hours behind Um, so the interpreting the translating making sure that people know where um, the water is being distributed but then also our folks don't have license and again um, having to come out that's a challenge Um, our folks also um, sometimes do work during these hours you have those 12-hour Um, uh, shift so that's a challenge Um, and definitely we have newcomers we just have you know a huge amount of immigrants coming to Jackson and South Jackson from Guatemala that are living maybe 10 or 12 
in one in one house and so we're coming to the space you know for dignity to improve our lives and we're finding ourselves in these situations where we can't even take a bath and so it's very important that our community who doesn't speak the language who's looking for refuge in the city have access to to water and we just continue to work together to take care of each other earlier you mentioned the importance of making sure that things are translated and made available for all people what has that challenge been like? Uh, how important is it for messaging that has been going out to be available to all residents? I know we've seen trans, we've seen ASL translators when it comes to video, but uh, we haven't seen that in terms of translation. And so I'm speaking to you as an organizer, right? So to build power, our community needs to understand the politics of the fact that this is a, a town that has been disinvested in. Uh, because when you are, are newly arrived and you see what's happening, you make assumptions. So it's very important for the city of Jackson, for its constituents and for its residents to be able to understand, you know, at, at the time that it's been put out, what's going on. And so there's been conversations um, with the city of Jackson to provide interpreting and translating services, particularly in our social media posts, Facebook. That's one thing that we can take care of immediately. Uh, we have a hub of interpreters. Um, the challenge is that we're always reacting to emergencies, you know, and we start building infrastructure and then there's another emergency. And there's the water, wa a boil notice, um, you know, flooding. And so it's been a challenge, but it's something that we hold very close to us and are always agitating um, leadership about. And I think that, you know, after this, hopefully we'll be able to make some, some needed changes and some needed improvements in, in how we communicate to the rest of the community. Anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with Mississippians and what they can do either in Jackson or how they can help the Hispanic population of Jackson? Yeah, so um, we, of course, we have donations, you know, um, because of this, the fact that our folks are disenfranchised, they're not able, to, if they're not able to access water, they have to travel. Um, and so traveling is expensive, uh, purchasing water from maybe not Madison, which is 10 minutes away, but even a little bit farther. Uh, so donations, we do help with donations and gas. Um, purchasing water, we are a hub of distribution uh, from five to seven. Um, but also volunteers, like we need the manpower. We need folks to help us um, send out social media posts. We need hopes to folks to help out. We have about 200 emergency packs that we can train people to use and distribute it to the community. So we need bodies, we need hands, and it's so hot, we're all tired. So the more hands, you know, the, the easier it is on all of us. Um, and, and yes, we are here to stay and, and we really, this is our home, and we've been saying that for the last three years, and y'all been witnessing that we're not leaving. And so just let the state, let the nation know that as immigrants we're here to stay, and we want to put, just have a, a huge contribution, and also to the improvement of what's going on with the water. So, yeah, if you guys want to send out some uh, contributions to IAJE of MS at Venmo and on our Facebook page, we welcome all of that. Lenina Kuros is the executive director of the Immigrant Alliance of Justice and Equity here in Mississippi. Lenina, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you again. Coming up, how the history of one of the oldest black communities in Coleman County has shaped its present. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. When Coleman County, Alabama was founded in 1873, it was advertised as a place with no blacks and no Indians. Its largest city was called a sundown town. But one of the oldest communities in Coleman County was a safe haven for black people in the state. And in some ways, it still is. WBHM's Kira Miles talked to the residents of Colony about its rich history and present. On a hot summer day in August, hundreds of people gather in Colony, Alabama for an annual town reunion and homecoming. Kids giggle their way through outdoor games and hamburgers sizzle on the grill. It's everything you want from a southern cookout. They call the celebration Colony Day, and longtime resident Inez Malcolm looks forward to it. We really uh, enjoy our community, and a lot of people from different areas, would they don't believe that black people live in Coleman County. And we do. You know, we coincide with everybody, and everybody gets along. A lot of people here call the town the colony, and residents say to live here is to embrace the simple life. Kids play freely in the woods, and neighbors always share with one another. Nobody in my community will ever go hungry, because there's always somebody that knows somebody. On Colony Day, everyone honors their shared history. Colony was settled by formerly enslaved people in the mid-19th century on land that wasn't known for being very fertile. Since white settlers didn't want the land they lived on, the colony was largely left alone. And black farmers were able to work their land, make money, and eventually buy their plots. Robert Davis, who's a history professor at Wallace State Community College in Coleman County, says it was a place where you could be black without fear, especially in the early 1900s. The black community in Coleman County owned more land than any other community. They had their own stores, their own mills, their own schools the whole nine yards. When Colony was established, it was not originally in Coleman County. They weren't welcome. Davis says there were no black people, or at least very few in the county. And the county's largest community, also called Coleman, was a sundown town. But at some point, Davis says mines opened on local coal deposits, bringing jobs and money for black laborers in the colony. And Coleman County leaders wanted in. And you can't bring Stout Mountain and the coal mines in unless you also bring in the colony. Combining the area's oldest black town in a known anti-black county could have been a recipe for disaster. Coleman had a terrible reputation. That's Erlene Johnson, one of Colony's oldest residents. They said blacks were afraid to come through Coleman. Even on the train said they would pull the shades down when they rode through Coleman. But Johnson says the relationship between the town and the county was more complicated than that. She says there were racial tensions between the colony and the rest of Coleman. But it wasn't as bad as in other parts of Alabama. Johnson went to college in Montgomery. And I was in school doing the marches when Reverend King and all, and Rosa Parks were riding the bus, and I was in college by then. 
we did not have that kind of fight going on, you know, struggle going on where they put dogs and what have you. She says residents of the colony were largely self-sufficient, so they didn't need to go into Coleman often. But when they did, it was fine. After college, when she moved back to Colony, she became a teacher and later mayor. Johnson says she applied for any and every grant to get Colony a library in a town hall building. Her team's work to grow Colony led to the town's official incorporation in 1981. Johnson, who is now 84, says she hopes a new generation can continue to build up the colony. Back at Colony Day, Jasmine Cole is wearing a t-shirt that says Team Colony, Lifetime Member. She's 27, and she says she was inspired by Johnson when she was a young girl to continue building up the colony. So I was more just following her footsteps, trying to um, get the colony back live again because it was like withering away. Cole is the town's youngest council member, and she organized the last two Colony Day celebrations in hopes to keep people coming back. I'm proud of this area. It's always been a good community, so it means a lot to me. It's my home. Colony is not a town that is solely defined by its history. It's a community of people that supported one another through good and bad times. Cole says she wants to get more people to move to the colony and continue the town's self-made legacy. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Kyra Miles. States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Coming up, the insurance commissioner explains the disaster guide. That's ahead. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We know you love MPB Think Radio to stay informed, but sometimes you need a little music to relax and unwind. MPB Music Radio has a variety of genres and is with you all the time on the MPB Public Media app right on your mobile device. Bluetooth it in the car or pop in your earbuds and take a listen to MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippians know firsthand how quickly disaster can strike. Flash floods, tornadoes, and hurricanes can often be top of mind during the summer months. To assist residents with guidance on insurance claims following a disaster, the Department of Insurance offers a guidebook. Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney explains the disaster guide with our Rhonda Dunaway. It not only applies to floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and wildfires and earthquakes and all the other natural disasters that we have. Some people don't think we have wildfires in Mississippi, but we do. And now we have a crisis in Jackson, Mississippi, where we have no water. So we may have claims from things like uh, fire damage where there's no water to put fires out. And what we're telling folks is this, that the first thing you want to do is to be be sure that you, you and your family are safe. That means you secure your home or your belongings. And uh, if, you, if you have a hole in your roof, say from a, a windstorm that comes up, uh, then you need to cover it with a tarp to prevent water damage. And you got to make a decision about reporting a claim to your insurance agent and insurance company. The problem you run into, and it's one of the problems that we have to address is as a regulator and a commissioner, is companies will file a claim 
against you, even if they don't pay anything out. And if they have three claims, they may try to cancel your insurance. So uh, we've become very proactive to prevent companies from doing so. Uh, th- that means that if you report a claim, they'll try to cancel even if you don't have any money paid back to you by the insurance company. So <clears throat> that kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking at for consumers. And it's it's an easy decision. And if you got questions, you can always call the Department of Insurance and we'll try to help you out or call your agents. When should uh, people who are we're still, you know, working through the crisis in um, Jackson and I think some of the there is some surrounding areas like Byram uh, that may be experiencing some of these um, problems. But when can people go ahead and uh, start filing claims? Are there is there too soon or how uh, what should they do like right now? Uh, you know, as far as uh, insurance claims go, if you have an insurance claim, especially with um, what's going on in the Jackson metropolitan area. Contact your insurance agent, and they can give you the best advice. Uh, with all the, the magnitude of the folks that may have claims within the Jackson area, we'll, we're telling them, call your insurance agent. If you bought insurance online, which very few people do today, uh, they found out that it's better to buy from an agent, someone you know and you can contact. They can help you and give you some guidance. If you're in doubt you can uh, and you do have access to a computer, you can go to uh, the www.mid.ms.gov website and look for consumers. It's normally on the left-hand side of the website, and it'll guide you through some of the things you should do. Uh, Getting to the post-disaster uh, without having to put all the other language in will be easier starting Tuesday uh, of every week because we have the workbooks up on the website. And the main thing is, you don't want to file a claim too early, but you want your agent to know that you have a claim potentially. And after the disaster is over, which we call post-disaster, then the guides that we put out for how to handle a claim kind of come into play. So it's important to stay in touch with your agent, understand what the claims guide says, and you can look that up on our website. Again, it's www.mid.ms.gov. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. Um, also, is there uh, anything else that our listeners need to know about um, this post-disaster uh, and, and working their way through the insurance claims process? Well, just be careful. You want to secure uh, your home or your, or your and your belongings, and you want your family to be safe and yourself to be safe. So be, be very careful, especially if you with flooding conditions, uh, utility poles can get saturated around the ground and may lean over and may fall. And if you have windstorms and, and along with the flooding that's come along in Jackson, you may have down power lines. Be extremely careful around down power lines. Uh, and if you have children, make certain they understand that they should not play around any power line that's on the ground. Try to swing on it or pick it up. Uh, it, it's very likely that they may still be alive. Wire out on the ground and could shock them and or maybe even electrocute them. So we tell folks to be very conscious of your surroundings. After a disaster, use common sense. And uh, if you've got doubt, call your agent or call the Department of Insurance about whether or not you should file a claim now or wait a couple of days until you know the extent of your damage. 
Well, uh, Mike Cheney, Insurance Commissioner for the state of Mississippi, thank you so much for talking to me today. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.